0: What if i told you there was a way that you or your clients could speak directly to a captive audience of senior agency leaders ceos and managing directors of some of the biggest agencies in the world well that's what you get when you sponsor the agency deal masters podcast we have thousands of monthly listeners from all over the world and it's not just agency owners over 25 percent of our audience are also senior marketing brand leaders from the likes of Aviva, BMW, Salesforce, and Google. As we continue to attract big names to the show like Adobe, Revolut, and Virgin Money, you can be sure that Agency Deal Masters will be the place for you to get your brand's message directly into the ears of the people that you want to be speaking to. So head over to agencydealmasters.com sponsor or email me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com to find out more. This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. His name is Jamie Devlin, and he is the head of business growth at Revolut, the world's first truly global financial super app. They are valued at over 5.5 billion and growing at a rate that's really making the incumbent financial institutions very nervous. They are truly changing the relationship consumers and businesses have with their finances. This is an absolute masterclass and fascinating conversation about how to scale one of the fastest growing financial services companies in the world. Jamie's been at Citigroup, Bain and Vodafone before joining Revolut and we discuss how the rigor of consulting at Bain and his background in engineering really informs the way that he thinks about methodically and systematically scaling one of the success stories of the fintech revolution we discuss his experiences actually getting into Oxford in the first place and completing the course, which he says to date is still probably his proudest achievement. If you are interested in anything to do with financial services, consulting, growing B2B sales teams, working with agencies and growing the world's first truly global financial services super app, then you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. I learned a ton from speaking to Jamie. I know you will as well. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Jamie Devlin. Jamie Devlin is responsible for B2B growth at Revolut and was one of the first employees of the business. He has a storied background, having held senior roles at Citigroup, Bain and Vodafone, Revolut are building the world's first truly global financial super app. Their 15 million customers around the world use dozens of Revolut's products to make more than 100 million transactions a month. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Jamie Devlin, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Thanks a lot, Nathan. It's great to be here. Super excited to have you. You've got an absolutely fascinating career and and background. So you've you've been at Bain, Citi and Revolut, as we've said but you say your proudest moment to this day is actually getting your degree from oxford university where you studied engineering economics and management many people would be surprised to hear that explain so for me getting into oxford
1: was probably one of my biggest challenges i remember going there on like an access day from my school and just thinking this is the place i want to be i love everything about this place collegiate system the facilities the unbelievably smart people you get to have as your, you know, peers, the the tutors who are just like world class. And, and I just had a sense of the place that I think I would really flourish. When I said to my careers teacher at school, this is where I want to go. She said, I wouldn't bother applying. Don't think you'll get in. But Encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there you go. I was lucky enough to have had like a brother had been uh, before. So I did have some Exposure to it, and yeah, I just knew it's where I wanted to go. I prepped super hard for that interview, and the interviews, by the way, despite everything I've done later in my career, I've never had as intense a set of interviews as I did going there. You know, you, you go into a room as a seventeen-year-old. I had never done further maths, and you have these kind of five, you know, world-leading engineering professors oh who are just firing further maths questions at you <laughs> that you have to try to figure out on the fly. Wow. And I had four of those in one day. There's no limit to how far they can stretch you in those interviews. It's not like, here's a question, answer it, tick. It's like, here's a new mathematical concept that you've just heard of. Let's push this to the point where you can't answer it anymore. Unreal. And um, that, is, <laughs> that is hard, I can tell you. And I think they don't necessarily think you're going to be able to solve it. They just want to see how you'll respond under pressure okay. to really difficult concepts because that's ultimately like what what being at um, a uni like Oxford is all about, and yeah, I was I was lucky enough to get an offer. I, I took a year out before and, and went, and um, yeah, for me it did actually. I have to say, just lived it really lived up to my expectations. I had to work super hard there. The course I did, they don't actually offer it anymore. I think maybe because it was just. <laughs> was just a very very intense course maybe taking up too much of people's time yeah but at the time you know it was proper like 40 hours a week of timetable classes plus all the stuff you had to do around it and during that four years i got a lot out of it but i've never felt as stretched as i had been during that time yeah so just super proud to get in super happy to be there amazing also to say like there's plenty of other really good unis out there i'm not a just complete oxbridge (laughs) snob but i personally (laughs) like that was my goal and to achieve it and made me really happy.
0: Yeah, really interesting insights there. So so you spent two years at Bain and company. How did that experience shape the rest of your career? And kind of what did you take away from Bain, from a consultancy and you know, a rigor point of view that proved to be valuable in the rest of your career?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I really rate Bain as a place to start your career. I think going to one of the, the top consultancies has so many benefits in terms of just teaching you about how the world of business works. I'm getting on into a minute on what Bain doesn't teach you or McKinsey or BCG or any of those, but what it does teach you is how to be structured, how to communicate, how to identify the most important aspects of a problem that need to be solved, and then to break them down and solve them in a structured way, and then communicate the solution in a bulleted, structured, prioritized format. That's amazing how many people actually don't learn that early on in their careers. And then when you encounter them later on, they might be phenomenally smart, but their way of communicating in a concise, structured way isn't there. And Bain Hmm. and other places kind of force you to do that. Force you to look at a complex problem, break it down, figure out how to solve it. But then, yeah, crucially communicate how you are going to solve it, what the solution is in a structured way. I also think you're you're exposed very young to very senior people at these big organizations. So you have to get very comfortable dealing with senior stakeholders early on in your career. Mm. Um, And senior stakeholders generally, you know, they don't want someone who's going to be sitting there rambling on or or diving into detail when it wasn't asked for. They want someone who can concisely communicate the point. Mm. And then if they need to double click, they'll double click. But they need someone who's got that confidence and that presence just to say, here are the three most important aspects that we need to consider when solving this problem for your business. Boom, boom, boom. Hmm. That's, what, that's what they want to know. And I think it's the kind of thing Bain teaches you. And so I, I I have huge respect for that organization. I got so many opportunities there. I was able to work on projects all over the world. They were actually kind enough to sponsor my MBA as well. I would actually say my closest friends nowadays are people that I met while I was at Bain. Mm -hmm. I actually had dinner with my mentor from Bain last week. So bear in mind, I haven't worked there for over seven years Mm. and I'm still in touch with my mentor who we just, as soon as we met up and had dinner, we just switched back into old times compared notes. And I was like, this is a, this is a phenomenal place It will sign you a mentor three months in and 12 years later and seven years after leaving, you're still in touch and comparing notes like that Amazing. to me that's like a real mark of a of a top organization in terms of people development so i think you you, you develop there in these consultancies almost faster than you would anywhere else i think because mm. you're just thrown in at the deep end and you just have to have to figure things out is it really hard yeah is it really intense yeah do i think i could have done it for another 2 years probably not because i'd come to the end of my my time there but I got a hell of a lot out of it while I was there. Mm. In terms of some of the things I think maybe you don't get a consultancy, well, having moved from Bain into a startup called Tandem and then latterly into Revolut, where I am now, I don't think it equips you very much to deal with ambiguity or to kind of figure out what needs to be done and then switch course if it's not being done. Basically, the whole essence of being in a startup, which is you just need to be constantly reacting, firefighting, changing your priorities, figuring out how, what, what, what things need to get there. If that is no longer a priority, deprioritize it, put your resources here, continually chopping and changing. The way consultancy works is it's quite a top-down process. A project will be sold by a partner. They'll be allocated to a manager to deliver. He will allocate three work streams. You as a consultant will get a work stream to deliver. You deliver the report, put it in the appendix, feed it back up, the manager presents it. So what you have to do is incredibly hard and intense in the time. but It's quite a defined work stream that you will work on. In startup, it might be, we need to grow this year by this much. How are we going to do it? Yeah. Okay, well, let's try these three. ambiguity. Exactly. Let's try these three things. Okay, it seems like one of them's working, but the other two aren't. Okay, well, let's, in consultancy, be like, well, we define these three work streams, so we're doing these three work streams. Sure. In startup, it might be like, well, actually, four of the <laughs> five works aren't really working. And the fifth one yeah. actually needs to change. So let's move our resources. Yeah. And um, you, you you don't get any points in startups for, for kind of effort. You don't get any points for hmm. spending time on something if that doesn't actually lead to an output which is valuable to the business. And hmm. I think that's a real mindset shift, which can be quite hard for people in startups to get there. People transitioning into startups from consulting to get their head around. You can make the fanciest model in the world that will have hundreds of tabs that will tell you exactly how you're going to build to this result. But unless you can actually build to that result through, like, you know, deliverables and an output, then it doesn't matter. It wasn't necessarily a, uh, a a valuable exercise.
0: Well, speaking about startups, let's talk a little bit, a bit about Revolut because you joined the company in 20. 17. Yeah. What first attracted you to the company? And then going back to what you said earlier around sort of scaling challenges. I mean, you're going through a massive scaling challenge at the moment, which we'll talk about a little bit later, hiring a, a boatload of salespeople. What first attracted you to the company? And tell us a little bit about your role and responsibility.
1: Sure. So the first thing that attracted me to the company was actually getting the Revolut product for myself and actually had that what people often call a moment of truth. I had that moment of truth where I got a Revolut app, I went on holiday, and I took 20 pounds out of the cash machine, or 20 euros out of the cash machine in France. Now, if I'd used my old bank in the UK, that probably would have cost me about three pounds. So <laughs> that's basically a 15% charge for taking- Your own you money know, out. Basically 20 euros out of a cash yeah. machine. Revolut didn't cost me anything. That was the moment I went, this is a great product. This is awesome, and it's, it's really well executed. And I, that's exactly what I was looking for. And I could see why at the point I first had my conversation with Nick, the founder, Revolute was just kind of starting to take off. I think it had about 100,000 users. And that moment of truth of going, wow, that's amazing value and amazing execution. That is why this thing is going to be really big. So I first started talking to them in early 2017, ended up joining in June of that year. My first role was in partnerships. The The aim was to grow our our retail base through partnerships with people like booking.com partnerships with companies who could basically like push the Revolut brand and it would be complementary to to basically kind of accelerate our growth so I did that for about a year and really enjoyed it learned, learned a hell of a lot about what to do and what not to do and in that time we actually launched our business product and you know for the last three years basically just been focused on yeah how we can how we can grow Revolut business but um it's been such an amazing journey here in terms of the amount of different things I worked I say when I started it was like about 50 people so mm-hmm. although I was doing partnerships I was also a PO initially as well building a bit of our payment infrastructure so really very an experience. but now as we've grown bigger what I do is focused on one particular part of the
0: Revolut infrastructure which is business okay we'll we'll come on to talk about the business product in a moment but roughly around 13 million customers now i think you joined when they when you said there was sort of roughly one hundred hundred thousand fifty 100,000 50 people when you joined how many how many people are revolut now roughly
1: it keeps it keeps growing every week but <laughs> every day. It's about every day it's about i think at the minute it's about 2500
0: i believe amazing amazing so let's talk a little bit about revolut in a, in a bit more detail then because your goal is to become the first truly global financial platform for those that don't know tell us about the main business lines and, and revenue streams of of the bank what makes you different to a Monzo or Starling or even a traditional bank a HSBC etc tell us a little bit more about the model
1: sure so if you think about Monzo or Starling they're ultimately offering very similar kind of service that you would get from a traditional bank like you mentioned they're just doing it with uh, you know, kind of fully digitized um, offering without branches. And people sometimes conflate that with what Revolut does, but we're fundamentally different. Our aim is to offer the full range of services you might get from one of those traditional banks, but also on top of that, offer you a bunch of other things that you wouldn't get, but which people have told us again and again they need. So yeah, we offer the card services, we offer the payment services, um, both merchant and P2P. But on top of that, we also offer things like access to wealth and trading products, access to crypto. We offer you the ability to purchase value-add services like insurance. Um, we also work with various partners to offer you discounts um, in a, provided in a really relevant way. So one thing we've actually just launched is a shopping service. If you're shopping online, if there's anywhere online where you can actually get a discount through Revolut, it will be automatically just appear on your browser and the discount will be added you know, automatically. And we're continuing to expand the range of services. So we'll talk business in a minute, but our business product, I mean, that offers the same kind of suite of services but businesses. But in addition to what you might get from the traditional banks, you're getting acquiring services. You are getting access to a whole different range of FX accounts. You're getting API access to all of your different accounting services. You're getting open banking access to see all of your accounts in one place. Hmm. So the idea that that we're working on is a platform play where you are basically building on top of this core platform anything that could be of value to a retail or business consumer, and finding a way to deliver it to them in really user friendly and uh, cost effective ways. So we basically want to be 10x cheaper and uh, 10x better than. Any of the competition. Really interesting. That's the principles of what you operate. But you can only be that if A, your product execution is flawless and also you get to a certain scale. So that a lot of the economies involved in the, the fixed cost of setting these things up it's covered by the number of people that you're actually serving.
0: It sounds as though you want to be the go to financial services app for all your financial services issues or problems or, or challenges you know one card almost to rule them all yeah to quote a a golem quote is that is am i wrong right sort of lines there
1: yeah Nathan, definitely i mean um basically if you can think of a current financial issue that you're having or if you're thinking of a um uh, a product that you would love to exist that would just solve some of the headaches you encounter financially we're there to basically figure out how to deliver it and package it in one place with Revolut. Mm. A great example actually is crypto. So back in kind of the the previous crypto boom, which was uh, a tail end of 2017, one of the big issues everyone was facing, like, there was a lot of demand to get involved with crypto. Retail investors were saying, I, want a, I just want a piece of this action. But there was no easy way at the time to actually get involved, right? You had to sign up to a quite odd sounding website like Kraken or time coinbase it would take ages to get your id and v verified your your identity verified you would have to top it up through a very strange transfer process that would often got blocked might, might take 10 days everything was just a bit clunky and probably outside of the comfort zone of a lot of normal retail investors what we said was you know what buying a bitcoin should be as easy as like buying some us dollars and we can definitely through our technology and safeguards like deliver that in a way that's like really safe really easy uh and simple for a customer to do and that's exactly what we did so now i don't know if you've tried it out but if you want to buy some bitcoin or one of other like 10 cryptocurrencies on the Revolut app you can just do that in the in the click of the button and um yeah it's what i use and actually find it so much better so much easier yeah. To manage than I would do with some of the other
0: platforms which I had used before but I'd stopped using because of all the issues I just mentioned. Interesting I incidentally have used Coinbase is where I get my my crypto from sorry to uh to mention that but now that you've sold me on the virtues of Revolut I may switch. Um, <laughs> <Nice>. Great. <laughs> so let's talk about the business products in, in more detail so you're responsible for growing the business product for SMEs you've got 650,000 businesses already signed up using the product. Tell us more about what the product is, what problem do you solve, and who do you solve it for?
1: Yeah, so when Revolut Retail first came on the scene in 2015, it very quickly attracted the attention of a lot of businesses who were saying, This incredibly cheap FX and these seamless international payments that don't cost me an arm and a leg are exactly what I need for my business. When can we actually start using? Revolute to make our payments to our suppliers who are overseas. When can we use it to start managing our effects exposure? Um, and just it was it was very quickly after starting became apparent there was like a pent up need here, and it wasn't being served well by the traditional banks. SMEs, particularly the smaller ones, have always been this kind of forgotten segment that the big banks just aren't interested in serving, and can't use retail banking products because there's a there's a prohibition on using that for business services. So there was a really clear market need to step in and solve. And that's what that's how Revolut Business was born. So when it was initially launched, it offered all of the features that you would get with Revolut Retail, but tailored towards business. So some of the things you might need for business, you probably need to hold more than one account in each of your currencies. You, you might need like tens of different accounts. You probably have more than one user that needs to use the account. You might have a CFO you might have an accountant you might have a finance assistant so all of those people need to be able to use it as well you need to be able to issue your own corporate cards to people so very common use case in business you need a card to go and spend if you're doing a trip or if you're making purchases you also need to be able to account for all of your transactions um in an auditable way and probably you're going to be sending those to accounting software so we, we could see up front that those were immediate business needs that every business had. And so the initial product launched with that product suite. So all of your accounts in one place, ability to hold 30 currencies, issue corporate cards, do FX, do international payments seamlessly, and connect up your accounting software. So that was the start of the product. And since then, it's just continued to evolve. So it was initially focused on the UK. It's now offered in 34 different countries. With the, the US, the most recent one to launch, we have continued to build out the product suite. So we recently launched acquiring, which means that you can take payments from customers straight into your Revolut business account. means if you're a small business and you're wanting to get up and running, say you're an e-com platform, all you need to do is get Revolut business. Everything else is taken care of. You know You mm-hmm. can do acquiring through us. You can do all your accounting for us, issue your cards, everything. Um mm. and and other services continue to launch. So our payroll platform is currently in beta. Again means if you need to make payroll, you can just use Revolute. You don't need to get an external vendor to do it. Amazing. Expense management is another thing that was launched recently. That means that you can do all the expenses from the cards I mentioned without having to get an external provider. So as you might be able to see, like what we're doing is just like integrating all of these disparate services that you needed to sign up to before, mm. you know. Ten, twenty 20 different providers, Revolut business can do it all. And therefore you remove the vendor risk, you remove the cost, and you also remove the complexity of having all of the different um, vendors for your services.
0: As you said, a platform play. Exactly. Really, really fascinating. And that's a really good example to kind of bring it to life. So just on the B2B side, because <laughs> businesses make buying decisions very differently to consumers, as, as we know, what have you learned about how to grow the B2B customer base, what has worked, what hasn't worked for you, what sort of things are you working on right now to grow the customer base?
1: right, so from my time doing retail partnerships and BD, we learned a lot about how you can grow retail through partnerships, through referrals. And when I moved over to business, uh, we applied some of those learnings immediately to see if they would work. Now, at the time, Revolut Business was quite a nascent product. There was really only a handful of people working on it. So there were, I I think, some of the things that definitely worked to a point were things like partnerships with certain types of partner. So one of the biggest learnings is that consumers nowadays and businesses are busy and they are pretty disloyal in terms of like where they buy stuff from. So if you're trying to sell a service like Revolut Business, through another partner that's offering a kind of completely different service, as much as it might seem like those two things are adjacent, actually, as soon as the core thing that's being offered through that partnership is not directly related to the actual first business that you went to, you're going to really struggle. So I think probably some of the areas we had set the best success was actually being on the kind of comparison sites where people are going directly to buy or, or procure a business account. Because there you can see how Revolut stacks up directly against all the other business accounts. And I think for businesses up to a certain size, that can work quite well, but it's definitely got got a ceiling. But if you're going on, you know, money supermarket, money saving expert, know your money, you'll see how well we rank there. And smaller businesses who don't have much time, people are going on that site to get a business account. So those kind of partnerships can work quite well for growth. But as soon as you want to get a bit, you know, higher up the, the the size of business that you're offering to, you want to attract more valuable businesses. That isn't really going to work. People don't tend mm. to go on those sites to buy, you know, their business accounts. They basically want to they want to be sold, or they need to be sold because they've got a complex set of requirements for their business, mm. and they need to have you know all the information required to make the right buying decision. And that's where we found like B two B sales team can be. incredibly valuable in terms of helping people come to the right decisions about what business accounts to buy. Hmm. And so that's actually been a big focus for the last 10 months on the business side of things in terms of growth is building out teams of salespeople who can go and help businesses in all different countries and all different verticals to better understand their needs and understand how actually a solution like Revolut could really help them to transform their business either through taking a load of cost out taking a load of hassle out or just doing things they weren't able to do before like acquiring like holding 30 different currencies in 30 different accounts like adding in 30 different team members issuing their own corporate cards but as i said it isn't something that i think businesses would typically do on the basis of reading an article of going on a website and seeing Revolut business advertised sure to really grow in that segment You need to be reaching the key decision makers and having meaningful conversations with them about, you know, their needs and how we can solve them. And so that's why we have moved towards this very sales led approach for the business product, which has, um, has so far been very successful
0: couldn't agree more. You, you need you know, really good quality salespeople having serious conversations with senior decision makers about solving their business problems. So, so what have you then learned about what it takes to do that? How do you hire? How do you train? How do you onboard and compensate a sales team, assuming that you haven't held sales roles yourself? How do you do that? And how do you do that at scale? Because you're bringing on a number of salespeople right now, how do you hire, train, onboard, compensate an effective sales team?
1: Yeah, really good question. It's one of the challenges we're working through at the minute. There's a few big learnings that we've had on, on the different aspects that you said. I think the first one for me is um, very much aligning the business goals to what you're getting your sales teams to do every day. So mm. if let's say the business goal is a revenue one, but you are focusing your salespeople on an activity that isn't directly contributing to that, you can very quickly get a misalignment and get people doing activities, which all of their KPIs would say they're doing well on. But if you don't have a mechanism to make sure that they translate into actual pounds of revenue, then I think you can get a lot of people working on things that aren't driving value. So, what we found is that as close as you can, give salespeople a target that directly relates to what you are driving towards. So if the business wants new revenue, then incentivize the salespeople on new revenue. Mm. In terms of how you actually like scale that up from a team, which was initially two salespeople 10 months ago, to what will be a thousand by the end of the year, it's wow. a pretty... Pretty, <laughs> pretty steep uh <laughs> scaling curve amazing if you're going to do it gotta to, gotta got to fully commit to it yeah. um, but how you actually do that how you actually do that in a structured way that means you're not just you know burning cash well you have to build basically this kind of modular machine where you have a standardized way of hiring people and i'll get on to a minute like what we actually look for but a standardized way of hiring people where you can identify whether that person Fits the criteria that you think it will, within a you know degree of confidence. You then need to have a standardized onboarding process that they can join and go through, and you can be confident after they finish that they'll be ready to start contacting customers and working to sell Revolut business. You then, and this is probably one of the most important elements, you need a, a rock solid performance management process where it's completely transparent to everyone involved from management to sales managers to individual salespeople, exactly what they're aiming towards every quarter Mm. so you say look here is your quarterly target here is a dashboard and exactly how you're doing on that target so here's like the output metric this is the kind of new revenue you've driven this quarter but also just so you can have visibility here are the new calls. here are the calls you made this week here are the new deals that have come in here are the new meetings that have been set here are the new signups here are the new businesses and here are how those businesses are translating into revenue so the output is what is is important that's what we as a business ultimately care about but if you give the salespeople complete visibility and transparency over how they are doing both themselves and compared to everyone else mm. then in a sense that takes a lot of the burden away from like managing those people, because there's complete transparency about like how they're doing and how they're ranking in a team. Sure. And so if you, if you can build it in a module, In-built yeah,
0: competitiveness.
1: Yeah, it does. And like salespeople are competitive people. Yeah. And if you can instill a sense of competitiveness, it's going to drive the whole performance of your organization. Everyone loves to see themselves on a league table, especially if they're like moving up the table, everyone loves to be tough. And, um, As long as you are putting in place guardrails to make sure that, you know, the behaviors are still, um, you know, completely um, compliant, everybody is going about sales in the right kind of way, which is why the training and the QC processes that you put in are just as important to make sure that you're reviewing people's calls to make sure that you are, you know, training everyone on what, you know, what they can and can't say, then Mm. if you get it right, you can actually build this Pretty much modular organisation where you just hire people and you slot them in. You give them a clear set of probation goals that they, if they fulfil them, that will build them towards actually becoming a fully productive member of the sales team. And then you you find ways to keep people motivated, you know, during the quarter because sales is a. You mentioned earlier you had a background in sales. <laughs> sales is a really difficult job. Like it's hard. Uh, I know salespeople sometimes get a bit of a bad rep. I, I have so much respect for people who do sales
0: sympathy yeah to be able <laughs> to come into work
1: yeah. every day know that the phone's gonna be slammed down on you like more times than it <laughs> and, and just to be able to take that in your stride and really drive off the wind like get your energy from the winds and not dwell sure. on the losses um it's a tough job yeah. so the other part of it is just keeping this um this team of really hungry salespeople like
0: motivated the whole time agency deal masters produce strategic b2b podcasts for agencies and brands so you can win new business and generate new leads we've helped several businesses create shows to start new business conversations with their ideal target customers and generate new business revenue in the process. It works so well for one client, they've completely stopped all other forms of marketing to focus 100% on podcasting as their main source of new business and lead generation. They've generated over a million pounds worth in new business revenue over the last 14 months. No other channel gives you unprecedented access to your ideal target buyers. That includes ABM, email, and other direct approaches to find out how a strategic b2b podcast could help your business head over to agencydealmasters.com or email me at nathan at agencydealmasters.com i know we're fast running out of time but i can't let you go without asking a few agency questions and also we need to ask our favorite questions that we ask one of our guests at the end of the interview as well so in terms of growth and i mean you've spoken about scaling the sales team but when when you're working with an agency, maybe to help you deliver on a number of your, you know, key objectives that you're working on, how do you think about, you know, how best to find them, how best to work with them in order to help you propel the business forward? I mean, what have you learned about the best ways of managing and working with agencies in your experience?
1: All right. So I'd say off the bat, like, Revolut has a real bias towards doing things in-house just because, you know, we've got certain ways of doing things, certain culture and like to maintain control. That being said, within growth, you're never going to be going to encounter agencies. And I've worked with a number over the last four or five years. The number one, I think, key determinant of whether an agency is going to be successful is um, if their success is aligned to your success. So. Where I've seen issues with agencies in the past is where, for example, if it was a performance marketing agency, you might be giving them either just a budget to go and spend or like a CPA for every business that they acquire for you. So, you know, you acquire this business, you'll get X pounds. But what happens more often than not is you, you'll then get that agency sometimes, which, I, you know, is probably natural, but um, creates a you know real misalignment they'll go after the business that will be easiest to close because they're incentivized on getting x from this number of businesses mm. The arrangements i've seen be most successful with agencies is where there is like a rev share agreement in place so if this agency helps us to find really valuable customers then they will have a share in the revenue from those customers so in that mm. sense we're aligned we're not too bothered whether they bring in 100 small customers or one massive customer. The main thing is, like, coming back to what I said earlier about the the kind of downstream output metrics that business actually cares about, if they're actually able to demonstrate that they can drive that and then share in the upside of that, that that's going to cut so much more ice than if it's just felt like once the contract's signed, you know, they're basically getting paid irrespective of whether the customers that they bring in are valuable or not? Couldn't agree more. So that's that's probably like my personal biggest learning about agencies is um they have to be prepared to take on some of the risk, but also, you know,
0: happy to share in the upside as well. Mm. Linking fees to to performance it's a, yeah. it's a debate that's been going on raging in the industry for quite some time, and I think slowly more and more in, in, uh, agencies are moving towards that model, which is good to hear. Last couple of questions, and then I'll let you go assuming i mean everything that we've discussed so far about Revolut is absolutely fascinating if the business in three to five years time was 10 times bigger than what it is today what would that success have been down to i think
1: it would be down to first of all just executing our product vision better than anybody else and when i say execute i mean you as a customer would just have a really intuitive seamless experience with us and whatever you were trying to do whether it was send money abroad make fx payments buy crypto you name it i think this execution is just paramount as soon as someone finds something a little bit tricky or clunky or difficult to use about your app people have so many options these days to Mm. you know try other services and they will people are not that loyal anymore so you just have to make sure the execution is seamless when when something works really well one of our values at Revolute is is deliver wow means Mm. for the customer they should be using the app and just like my example at the start when I took the money out of the cash machine and it didn't cost me anything that was a wow moment so it would be if we manage to consistently deliver those wow moments to customers, whatever it is they're trying to do, if something very simple and, and, and vanilla, it's like paying in a shop to something you know as complex as maybe even making a crypto transaction out to their external wallet. All of those things should just work mm-hmm. better with us than anyone else. I think the second thing is just continuing to build trust with the customer. I think our brand is pretty prominent now we get a lot of a lot of positive uh, mentions in the press. And um, I think you partly build trust through what I was mentioning in my first point around really, really solid execution. If you continually execute in a seamless way, people just trust you as an app that you work, Mm -hmm. that you are somewhere that they just know when they're trying to do something, it will be intuitive, easy for them, they won't even need to go to support to help you with. And I think the third bit is just um, making sure that Revolut has the impact in our expansion countries that it has had in the core countries that we've launched in. So, you know, we're live now in uh, in the US, in Singapore, in Australia, but we've got ambitions to go even further than that. And so, you know, actually expanding to a new market is not easy. It, there's so much complexity in especially regulated industries like finance. Making sure the execution is just as good in those new markets, and that as far as possible, the consumers in those new markets have a unified experience to the people that we've already got using us in Europe will be really important because that's when you start to build this global brand. Where when somebody sees Revolut, they just know whether you're in Bangalore, whether you're in Sydney, whether you were in London. Sure. You know, it's going to be great. You know, it's going to be seamless. You know, you're paying less than anywhere else. Yeah, if if we if we can nail that, I think that will be a really key differentiator to us us
0: being even bigger than where we are now. Thanks for sharing that. It really gives us a picture as to kind of where the business is, is, is heading. Let's get into our favorite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. I know I've only got you for a few minutes, but I'll see how many I can cram in before our time is up. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience.
1: I would actually say when I failed was when I first came into Revolut and my job was to grow us basically through driving new partnerships. I think I was a bit too focused on what I'd mentioned at the start, transitioning from consulting, a bit too focused on the kind of input and the doing of work and less focused on the output of like what we're actually trying to achieve and was probably thinking a little bit too much about these giant partnerships that might deliver millions one day but in the likelihood of that happening is quite small rather than actually being a bit more of having a kind of hustler mindset of like let's just get mm-hmm. some things done let's get some scores on the board let's get six or seven or eight you know partnerships signed straight off the bat that can start delivering and in the meantime work on those like big you know potentially game-changing partnerships but you know that have a lower probability and um i think if i was to go back again i would definitely make sure that i focused much more on, or it was much clearer on like what the expectation was for like you know what we were driving towards up front and made sure all my activities were focused on that rather than yeah there was quite a few big things i was working on that it really looked like they were going to close and be big but for whatever reason as often happens they just didn't and you can't use that as an excuse that's you know not okay that's my failing of like you know failing to have a kind of backup have a plan b have these other things these short-term partnerships delivering the fact that they didn't close was something i learned that that happens a lot with these big deals you can't rely on them you basically need to make your own luck by making sure you've always got a completely full pipeline of stuff that is more likely to close and if you keep pushing more and more in that regard often you find the bigger things come through so that was a, like huge learning for me in terms of like again how could i sum it up basically a bird in the hand is worth 10 in the bush. It's probably a succinct way of putting
0: it. <laughs> That's a good one. Tell us about some of your early mentors. You mentioned a couple of mentors at the beginning of the show. Who are they and how do they influence your approach to growth?
1: Yeah, so probably um the one that springs to mind is actually the one I spoke about at the start. Um he's a guy called James Wilson. I used to work with him at Bain. He was my I worked with him directly on quite a few cases, and he continued to be my mentor. He's uh, a few years older than me, but went on for Bane to have a really successful career at Amazon and is still there now um, managing a huge team of basically sellers in their fulfillment department. It's awesome to have someone you can informally just chat to about issues facing a business like Amazon. I mean, obviously, that's kind of the gold standard and where every business would want to get to. Mm-hmm. But just to have someone who kind of... It's not a managerial relationship, you're not being judged on anything, just had probably a number of similar experiences to you, but has been through them a number of years before and can like share some really interesting experiences, knowledge of how things work. That's invaluable. And yeah, I I I think for any mentor to be like effective, you kind of need to have like a good connection with them as well, like a good rapport. And that was like Bain was actually very good at is they try and match you up with someone who's not just like, you know, has Kind of similar experiences to you but also someone who maybe is someone that you're likely to vibe with to someone who's gonna you know yes. have the same kind of outlook on life to you because that just means it's much more likely you'll meet up in an informal context and like you can yes. feel comfortable talking about things that are you know not even work related one of the things i like best about james is like when we met up we didn't just talk about work that'd be quite boring we're actually just talking about random life stuff you know family stuff yes. where you're moving all of this kind of thing, which, you yeah, know, it's part of life. And so having mm. someone that you can have like comfortable discussion about like personal stuff as well, I think that's great. Other mentor I probably think about is actually the CEO of Tandem, where I worked for two years after Bain. So I joined this other startup before I joined Revolut. Learned a hell of a lot there. Like they, um, it's amazing. They a new company, got a banking license from scratch, one of the first companies to do that in years. Ricky is a, um, founder there. He's probably about ten years older than me. Did an MBA at the same school about ten years before me. But he, I guess, was my first solid exposure to like an actual, fully fledged die in the world entrepreneur. Someone who just like acts and thinks differently. Someone who um you know is always just thinking about like how they can achieve their goal. Is never thinking about like obstacles, is always just thinking about solutions about how to get to where they are comes into work every day with incredible energy Mm. and also just taught me a lot and my role at tan was involved in investor relations and fundraising Taught me a hell of a lot about how to sell yourself and sell your business basically Mm. if you're not confident in what you're doing or if you're caveating it then no one else is going to believe in it so teaching me a lot about how to build that self-belief even if there is a bit of ambiguity and there's some questions you have in your head. How to project to, um, you know, the stakeholders that actually they should have confidence in you and your idea. Uh, I've never met anyone else who's as good at it as, as, as Ricky is. If um, Yeah, you, you can see plenty of his like talks or, or mm. conference presentations online. He's always a really good speaker and people come away thinking like, wow, this is just a guy
0: I want to listen to. And potential guest for the podcast.
1: Oh, yeah, you should definitely get him on for sure. He, he'd be great. I'm sure he'd love to, I'm sure he'd love to join. So, yeah, that, those are probably be two of my most significant mentors.
0: Thanks for sharing them. Great, great stories and insights from both. Speaking about personal life stuff, tell us what's the most interesting thing that people don't know about Jamie Devlin.
1: Uh, most interesting they don't know is probably, despite my accent, I actually grew up in Ireland. So I lived there for 14 years. <laughs> When I was at school, I uh, weirdly had this kind of Irish accent. I used to speak a bit like this. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm someone who picks up accents like anything. Um, so I had this Irish yeah. accent. But the weird thing was, when I was at home, my parents speak like this. And so when I was at home, my uh, accent would just kind of by default switch back to English. Right. I'd be in school right. Right? and it would kind of go into Northern right. Irish. <laughs> and, it was just really weird to us, but it was, um, yeah, I'm glad I've only got one accent now, but um, yeah, that's <laughs> something I picked up from um, from growing up in Ireland. Uh, I'm happy to say, like, yeah, I, I I only have the one accent now, but yeah, people yeah, probably yeah. wouldn't know that about me.
0: I'm sure when you go back to Northern Ireland, it'll slowly start to creep back. Old well, habits tend give to die me hard. a
1: few, few, few pints in, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, last couple of questions and then I'll, I'll let you go. Amazon Prime or Netflix, what are you watching or streaming that's good?
1: Oh, great question. What do I love? So during lockdown, I loved like, I mean, it's a bit cliche, but like Tiger King. So it was just unbelievably, brilliant. like, like almost like you just couldn't
0: tear your eyes away.
1: You couldn't week. write
0: it. You couldn't write it. And,
1: uh, yeah. And, and the cast of characters on that, I just found them unbelievable. Like you, you, each one of them in its own could be could be their own show yeah on the same track um i loved like the documentary about fire festival again just seeing an entrepreneur go wrong basically <laughs> when entrepreneurship <laughs> and self-belief goes a bit too far right.
0: um don't do this
1: yeah exactly don't do that i actually rewatched it again recently it was just as good the second time um guilty confession um because of my girlfriend's been like a big fan of like reality tv um uh, Ended up watching like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And it's actually like strangely like strangely
0: watchable TV <laughs>
1: when there's nothing to do in lockdown. Um, yeah, actually got a little bit addicted to that. Was a little I'm bit judging sad, you. But, um,
0: yeah, I'm I know. I'm literally judging you in the
1: moment. Um, maybe I can bring it back with this. The one I'm actually really looking forward to more than any, I don't think it's on um, either Netflix or um, Amazon, is uh, Succession. So uh, Brilliant. I, I really thought Succession was like, Amazingly oh, rich so, so um yeah. so yeah. keenly observed and uh just like every single character was just really watchable, really compelling. Yeah.
0: So um Love yeah I,
1: I, I can't wait for series three to come out. That's probably the one I'm okay. like most excited about.
0: Some good ones there. What advice would you give to a young person or millennial who wants to start their career in Revolute or a large financial services institution?
1: First of all, I'd say Make sure you get like familiar with the product and the industry so that when it comes to you know applying, you've got something to say in the interviews. You'd be amazed at how many people come in and they just have a very uh, almost like basic or surface knowledge of what we do, but hadn't actually thought about it. And it doesn't mean you have to understand everything like how it works in detail, but just think about like it could be something as simple as like, I was using the app the other day. And I was just wondering why you don't do it this way. Or I was just thinking like, it would be great if you built a feature like this. For example, you know, why don't you offer credit in the UK? It's like a really valid question. And um, you know, if someone asked me that in an interview, I'd I'd immediately be like, oh wow, this person's actually thinking about not only the products they use, but how we might also make money. So just get a bit smart on the products, get a bit smart on the industry, it, it really helps like kind of build a rapport with people who live and breathe that stuff every day mm. when you're interviewing with them. Um and makes mm. you come across like you're not just kinda of happy to be there, but you're actually like trying to actively contribute to having a conversation. Add value. Add value mm. rather than just like, you know, being asked questions. Mm. Second thing I say is like, although I, I think they're probably a little a little bit less popular than they were when I was leaving uni back in like 2008, 2009, I would still say like things like consultancies, investment banks can provide you with amazing baseline grounding for your career for a couple of years. I've actually seen a huge trend in Revolut towards hiring people with that kind of solid background before they get here. So even like just two, three years at, you know, bank, a consultancy or an, or an accountancy firm, can make a real difference just in terms of like how you come across, how credible you are, like how you're able to structure problems. Hmm. So I'm not saying that's like a prerequisite, but can actually be really helpful. And then the other thing is as well, um, I I say I didn't have this, but I love it when people do is showing a bit of entrepreneurial initiative on your own side always plays really well. doesn't matter if it fails, but just like, I had this business when I was a student, or I built up this company. Ultimately, it failed, but like this is what I learned. Or even just like, you know, I was president of the Entrepreneurs Club, and here's where I brought in all these speakers. Anything the that shows that you're able to take a bit of initiative is really important because we need people in places like Revolut who are not just being allocated tasks and then doing them. We need people who actually have ownership and accountability who can take a problem. Think through like the bits that haven't been thought through and then kind of build the solution to like this next level. So if you're spoon feeding someone all the time, this is what you need to do and this is how it needs to be solved. That's not really going to be as effective as if you have someone who has shown a track record of just being able to to think ahead what the issue could be and then solve it and then come up with like how to take it even further. Mm. So yeah, that would be my advice.
0: Absolutely love it. And my final question, Jamie, what is it you know about B2B growth and financial services today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career?
1: I wish I knew that ROI is like the golden metric that you <laughs> should always be thinking about. Right. Forget vanity metrics, forget signups, forget even activations. Mm. ROI, like ROI and payback. Is just it's just everything like because if you if you can prove return on investment and you can prove that you can pay back in a certain period, you can then scale really confidently because you know you're going to get it back. Mm. But if you're not thinking about when you're going to actually see this money that you've spent again, you can end up pouring an awful lot of money out of this like bucket, and you may never get it back. So mm. that's probably the biggest thing that I always keep in mind now is like when are we going to see this money again? Um, and if we don't have a good answer to that, then we probably shouldn't be doing the activity. Mm, absolutely love it.
0: Jamie, thank you so much for doing this.
1: No worries. No worries. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Nathan.
0: We have been speaking with Jamie Devlin. He is currently the head of B2B growth at Revolut. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts, where you can listen to over 130 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in sales and marketing. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathan@agencydealmasters.com. At Please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do this show without our very own Dealmasters. Tyler Baller is our editor. Christoph Gwaschek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Barber. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters.